Welcome to the Off Street Podcast featuring Adam Reiner and Sean Dan. Off Street contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and contains certain forward-looking statements of future possibilities that due to known and unknown risks and other uncertainties and factors may differ materially from actual results. As such, there is no guarantee that any views and opinions expressed herein will come to pass. Off Street is presented for informational purposes and nothing contained herein should be construed as a solicitation to buy or sell any security or as an offer to provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Additionally, this communication contains information derived from third-party sources. Although we believe these sources to be reliable, we make no representations as to their accuracy or completeness. Adam and Sean are employees of Marshall Financial Group, Inc., a registered investment advisor. For additional information about the firm, including its services and fees, send for the firm's disclosure brochure or visit advisorinfo.sec.gov. All right, Sean, it is Tuesday, July 11th, about 2.45 in the afternoon. Back from a week break. That's right. Offered the uh, 4th of July last week. How was your How was your 4th? You know, the 4th of July was good. It's weird when it's on a Tuesday. Yeah, probably worst day. Can't think of a worse day. Yeah, you come in for a day, you work, you're off, and start thinking about work again by Tuesday night. <laughs> you couldn't fully enjoy the fireworks. I don't know. That, that feels like a trap question. Enjoying fireworks? Does anyone actually enjoy fireworks? Yeah. All right. Because I want to use that as my spicy take to start the show, but I guess we're on the same page. <laughs> Out on fireworks? Out on fireworks? Yeah. They're Too awful. loud. <laughs> if, if you can mute the fireworks, they'd be fine. <laughs> if you can mute them? Mute them. It's a sound thing for you? It's you a like sound. the look of them, not the sound? It's a sound thing, yeah. It's too loud. All right. I guess I guess we're on a different page there. I don't really mind the sound as much as it's just, I feel like it's so boring. It's the same thing. You see the first firework. It's cool. Yeah. And then it's 15 minutes of the same exact thing. And then at the end, they just shoot off a bunch at once. Well, that's the most exciting done. part. Well, that's what I'm saying. I re- Well, let's condense it. I know, I think it was San Diego a few years ago had a malfunction in their city fireworks show. Every single firework went off at once and it just looked like a, a huge bomb exploded. And it was crazy. Everyone was like, whoa, look how cool this is. Let's just do that. I think the drone shows are more engaging than the fireworks. Yeah. Because it's because they're new. They can do a lot of cool things with the drones. Like last year before the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, outside the art museum, they had like that giant eagle. Yeah. Like, I think that's cool. It's cool. They're not loud. They're not loud. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe you're so caught up on the sound of the fireworks. But I, I do I do agree that the drones offer something new. You lose a little bit, though. Like, I need a... You lose the sound? Explosion sound. <laughs> I mean, the sound, I guess, adds to it now that I'm thinking about it so deeply. But, you know, on the 4th of July, there's a lot of people that probably shouldn't be shooting off fireworks that shoot off fireworks. And, I don't know, it just becomes an inconvenience. Well, you won't have to worry about it for 51 more weeks, so. Township where I live, past the is where you can only shoot off fireworks four times per year. Were you behind that in any way? Did you I, 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 was not, I was not involved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not involved. All right. All right. I'll check the records. But... So we're jumping right back into things this week. CPI comes, comes out tomorrow. Was 4% for May, year over year. Tomorrow, then consensus is around three. Part of... The largest component of CPI, housing, at least in the May report, continued to show an increase of about 8% year over year. So let's spend some time talking about housing and shelter. Yeah, it's a unique time right now. It's pretty gross. Prices are up. Supply, very depressed. Rates are up. Whether you're renting or Rates buying. Rates went down, and then now they came back up. I mean, I kinda... we're, we're back above 7% on mortgage rates. It's very expensive, whether you're renting or buying. 
It is interesting how we got here with housing. The building environment post-2008 or housing environment post-2008 is part of the fuel that helped drive this housing increase, um, price increase. Absolutely. It's one of those things where you look back and it seems so obvious in retrospect and you saw it coming in slow motion. And now that it's here, you're like, wait, what? How did this happen? Because as you said, post-2008, construction of single family homes fell off a cliff pre bubble to post bubble construction dropped by like 60 or 80% and stayed at those depressed levels for three, four years before it even started climbing back. And we're still nowhere near where we're at the peak. Meanwhile, kind of home inventory available dropped. Like home, home inventory charts are one of those that go from the upper left to the bottom right. Yeah. If you just extrapolated, you knew we were going to have some sort of a supply issue, bar any major changes you need, at some need, point in the near we future. We needed the right conditions and COVID pretty much gave those conditions. Yeah. Like it was a supply side issue that with the right demands got us to where we are. COVID really started to be a perfect storm. The way it drove people to want to buy homes, it drove rates to zero. So mortgage rates were made housing very affordable. People stretched and bought houses maybe above what they could have even a year before. And it's just left us with this kind of gross mess where rates are still high and, and supplies even lower and... Yeah, not not a lot of new building in single family homes post 2008. And you couple that with just not a lot of existing home inventory supply, people not selling. Like I will probably fall in that category of people who wouldn't want to consider selling. Oh yeah. About this earlier. Yeah. I want to you told me what your mortgage rate is in P and I and I want to throw up compared to like what it is today. Yes, I sub 3% rate. Not to brag. Not to brag. Not, not to brag. <laughs> Purchased the home in 2017 before the, the run-up. Good timing, I guess. Great timing. No no skill involved in that yeah. one. All luck. But like you said, that's an asset now. You're not going anywhere. Like it would take a huge, you'd have to win Powerball to think about moving. Like as, as long as you're not moving for a job or moving for a family member or something, you're probably say, all right, I'll hang out here for a couple more years and see what happens. No, no use in, in giving up this great asset that I have. Right. But even while we were talking about it, sub 3% rate today, when I first bought the home, it was in the fours. So probably a bit of adjustment needs to be done on rate expectations, right? That, that sub 3% time period was so extreme that maybe this four to six rate band is something more normal, quote unquote, right? I don't know. It's kind of like, at least my parents talking about when they first purchased their home in the early 80s, mortgage rates were in the teens. Yeah. And now they're mid sixes. So I guess by that measure, not awful, but not as good as three. Yeah. It's always going to hurt when you can look back and it's within two or three years and you can read the articles that say, if you had bought your home on this date two years ago, your monthly P&I, principal and interest, would be 40% of what it is now. And with housing, like that's such a big portion of people's budget. It's usually the biggest thing on your expense sheet. When you could look back and say, I'm paying more than double for the same product, it just hurts. And like, and I know you said like maybe we've, we've anchored to too low of a number. I think we definitely have. Like I think it's too late for that, at least in the short term. And it's also just not a rate story either. It's the home appreciation side of exactly. it. And that housing prices have gone up and then you're trying to buy an existing home and you may have to get into um, competitive bidding with someone else that, that wants the house just because supply is, is so tight right now. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think it's solved first? Like if it's a, a binary thing, one's going to happen before the other, do rates come down? 
or does supply go up? Which of the, which side of the coin? If I had to guess, I would say rates probably come in marginally, just because it's going to take so long for for supply to catch up. Like if people aren't going to sell because they're locked in the low rates, you would need rates to come in to maybe something more normal by recent averages to entice someone to list their home to move somewhere else. Or you just need new building. Yeah. One of the two. Which, I mean, I guess both take time. And I guess more broadly on rates, kind of, I guess, what's driving these mortgage rates, the Fed, you know, maybe a thesis I have, or I'll pose it as a question to you, with the way Fed funds futures, the the kind of the longer dated options have been ticking upwards on the longer end of the treasury curve, we've seen rates start to tick up again. Do you think the market is maybe waving the white flag and believing the Fed when the Fed says, Jerome Powell's been saying for months now, we're going to hike to maybe mid five, sixes, wherever we land, and we're going to stay there for a while. Feels like a couple months ago, the market didn't believe it. Do you think the market finally is saying, okay, fine, we believe you, and we're just going to have to get used to sitting at above 5% rates for a little while? He was like, the market believes the Federal Reserve for now. For now. For now. Okay. Fed messaging has seemed very consistent over the past month that there may, there's likely one or two more hikes that are needed um, just to make sure inflation is is in check. No one wants to celebrate inflation coming down too early. Oh, we've heard all, right? But at the same time, if we see a lot of the items within CPI or PCE become more normal year over year, and it's just this housing component that remains high, the Fed can't do much, much there. I, they raise rates. And if it's a supply side issue, the Fed cannot fix supply side issues. They can control some of the demands, but they can't fix supply side. Unless they just like will make housing so expensive, you can't spend money on anything else. So inflation <laughs> inflation's going to come down eventually. Like we'll, we'll win that stalemate. Shelter's like what, 40% of CPI? Somewhere around there? Yeah, I think, it's, 40% of I think if you combine all parts of shelter, like shelter and rent or housing and shelter, however it comes out to, it's like 40% roughly all this together, which makes up like, like we talked about, makes up such a big portion of your budget. It should, it should have that weighting. Maybe the way that they come to that number for inflation is a little wonky, but that's probably for another day. So it's kind of, it's like this weird dynamic, like someone like me that's already in their home, not planning on moving. Is my year over year CPI really 4%? If so much of it is determined by these housing costs, probably I could, I would argue no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's tough in terms of like what we're talking about with the Fed and if they pause, do you think Jay Powell has it in him? And do you think the market has the patience where if we get to say we settle at five and a half percent and then we pause for a couple of meetings and Jay comes out and, and just gives his talking points, do you think the market gets antsy and says, I don't care if things are looking fine, if we don't have a recession, we need to cut rates just because, you know, you can't have a market at five percent and be in equilibrium. I think if the Fed pauses for consecutive meetings, we'll know we're ne at or near the end of the tightening cycle. When you go back through all the other Fed raises, like skipping one meeting doesn't really mean much. But when you get a string of consecutive meetings where they no longer hike, it means you're just about near the end. So I would imagine at that point, futures markets would start to price in a cut at some point along the way, whether that's two months out, three months out after like the consecutive pauses. But that's the way I would expect the futures market to go.
So we don't get into individual companies or stocks much on this podcast. However, we're going to give you the butt, right? How about Facebook? Or I guess I'll call them Meta since that's what they prefer to be called now. What a comeback story. Right? <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about threads. Over a hundred talking about threads. Over a hundred million downloads. It's grown faster, had faster adoption than Chat GPT, everyone's darling of last year. Kind of seems like Zuckerberg's got his swagger back. He's got Musk flustered. You can tell that just from the way Musk is acting, Musk tweets. But I mean, how do we how how can we forget so quickly a year ago? Meta was in this tailspin. Yes. They were spending so much on the metaverse. Last September. Headline from CNBC, Facebook scrambles to escape stocks death spiral as users flee, sales drop. Don't call it a comeback, but I mean, Mark Zuckerberg. 200% or something like that this year, over 200%. So it was since November. Since November? Stock is up more than 200%. It's gone kind of straight up into the right (laughs) the the entire time. You have the successful launch of threads. Um really not a comeback that I would have called, especially when when last year there was a couple earnings calls consecutively where Zuckerberg would talk about how many billions of dollars are spending on the metaverse and they'd be getting grilled by analysts of like, no one wants this. Why are you doing this? And then maybe all it took was Elon Musk buying Twitter and starting to do all these wonky things with Twitter, give Zuckerberg a window to say, hey, maybe I can I can capitalize on this. And Let's ditch the metaverse and just make a Twitter. <laughs> seems like no one cares about the metaverse now. It's all about threads. No, no. And it's crazy. I We were kind of spitballing earlier. And I kind of said, in a weird way, did Elon Musk save Facebook? Did Elon Musk buying Twitter and, and doing a couple things that made it worse? Has that given Facebook a, a window to save itself i don't, I don't I, know <laughs> i think it goes back to that old quote right never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake yeah so you know like good good on facebook and you had, whatever the heck they're called yeah and you brought it up too zuckerberg was so hated after the 2016 election and what was facebook's role in all this and manipulation and stuff and that cambridge analytica scandal. cambridge analytica there was like the netflix documentary about it yeah just a hated hated guy and i guess you just give it time and you have the other now social media mogul elon musk and he just makes more mistakes than you and you can you can slip in and everyone forgets about all your past sins yeah you know it's just the evolution of it is it's kind of funny when you just look at it from a business standpoint musk takes over twitter lays off fires a bunch of staff zuckerberg hires that staff creates threads threads launches i think they launched in beta 100 million subscribers. No, it's incredible. It's it's incredible, a little bit poetic, but I love it. It's like this is this is kind of what it's all about, you know? Even like not as an investor, just someone interested in these companies and a user of these products like I don't know, is this cap this capitalism at work, right? Like yeah. it's a I lot was, of fun. I was joking around with you earlier that we finally got compliance approval yeah. <laughs> for Twitter for the podcast and Twitter's Twitter's failing. Twitter, I mean, yeah, it's the the user experience, at least personally, is awful. It's been it's so bad compared to what it used to be, not what it once was. Even the Twitter integration, like in Google, if you just did a Google search for something, they used to pull in tweets. For example, if you like typed Phillies into Google, it would like pull up tweets really yeah. into the Phillies. Like even that is like not great anymore. Yeah. All wonky. Yeah. But hey, I, I said it halfway jokingly earlier, but I'm sort of starting to convince myself the 
the number one thing that Zuckerberg could do right now to increase shareholder value for Facebook might be just continue to needle Elon Musk on social media and send him into more of a tizzy and like keep doing stupid things that makes bad headlines for him because it certainly works so far. Cage fight or no cage fight. Is that going to happen? I don't think it happens at this point. No. Uh, it, yeah, but <laughs> maybe they can make a, a friendly wager. If they if they do the the match, whoever wins, the other person has to shut down their platform. That'd be, that'd be fun. Now we're talking like Hollywood. Like this is <laughs> movie quality stuff now. But fascinating to watch it unfold. Might have to might have to look into a threads page. Who knows? Yeah, might be heading that way. Do you think it's funny though that Musk took part of the reason Musk took over Twitter is because he said it was being poorly managed, poor, poorly run. And just to get from there to where we are today, should we do some uh, uncorrelated? Let's do it. Oh, where to start? Since we already talked about inflation a little bit, let's start with the USPS, the United States Postal Service. They are raising stamp prices for a third time in the past year. Going Prices are going to go up to $0.66 cents from $0.63 cents on July 9th. I guess that's already happened. So if you want to buy forever stamps ahead of that, too, too late. And they said it's necessary to offset the rise in inflation. I think you had looked up some. Yeah, this will, I'm, I'm questioning if we found the ultimate inflation hedge here. It, because if you look back over a three-year, 10-year, 20-year, those are just a couple that I spot checked, uh, even longer 50-year period, the price of stamps has outpaced inflation over that time, just broad CPI. Um, in over 20 years, stamps have increased in price from 20 years ago today by just a shade under 3% per year, while CPI has ticked at about 2.6% per year. So I don't know. I might be ready to start a, a stamp hedge fund. Just, stamp hedge funds? Just buy up all the forever stamps now and, I don't know, cash in a few years. <laughs> there is the risk of op obsolescence. Yes, 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 <laughs> of course. Of course, I'm joking, but um, did, did you say that for compliance reasons? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no one's safe from inflation. Not even know. not even your mail. I think I continue to think even at sixty six cents to mail a letter, it is still one of the best deals in the United yeah, States. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's a good take. It's a great take. The fact that you can mail something from Maine to just any, about anywhere else for that cost, no wonder they lose money, USPS, yeah. or operate at a loss. I don't know. Do they really lose money? Like, I don't know. We can get, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> is it a business or is it a service from the government? But anyway. Yeah. No, and they're grinders. I mean, you think about USPS. We see them coming down the street. They come in, rain, shine, anything. Grinders. It's a great, incredible service. Incredible service. All right, this next one comes from Bloomberg. When you think of Margaritaville, what do you think of? Uh, bad music in Florida. Did you say bad music? Bad music in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I think of music in Florida. Okay. <laughs> Probably also lots of adult beverages will yes. fall in there as well. But I don't think of is Times Square. No. And... Apparently, a lot of other people don't either. So the Margaritaville <laughs> Resort in Times Square um, had a file for bankruptcy. Who, yeah, who would have thought? 
<laughs> they they just opened in 2021. They've lost money ever since. They are in default to their lender, and they filed for bankruptcy to prevent the lender from auctioning the the hotel. Yeah. There was a foreclosure auction scheduled for yesterday, I believe, and they filed Sunday for Chapter 11. They're confident they're going to be able to stay in business. They they said the the value of their company is still above what the debt they owe. They just need a restructure and they'll be okay. And I think they blamed it on mistiming their opening. I think they said they opened too early where travel had not yet picked back up. And they're, well, they, they weren't wrong. They were just early. They're just early. So they, <laughs> they're confident that now that travel has, has continued to pick up, uh, they will have enough people to fill their 230 guest rooms and 34,000 square feet of retail space. But I don't know. Of things no one asked for, it's got to be pretty high up on the list. Or maybe there is a market. I shouldn't I shouldn't pass judgment. But like, like you said, it's a weird crossover for someone to say, man, I can't wait to go to New York City and stay at the Margaritaville on Times Square. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's quite the crossover. Was in New York the other week, walked by this hotel restaurant a few times, didn't go in. We looked to go in once to a rooftop bar, but it didn't open till till later. So that didn't do us any good. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to check it out at some point. I shouldn't I shouldn't judge it before I see it, but I gotta think it's it overwhelms the senses. We saw there are a few pictures in that article of like a, a Statue of Liberty holding a margarita. Stop that. And even in the article, like the author called it kitschy. Like it's gotta be absurd in there, but I don't know. Maybe just for the laughs, it's worth worth checking out. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess to close things out here, what what do we got? Big CPI print tomorrow. We got Fed meeting in a few weeks. Fed meeting in a few weeks. What else? What else should we be looking out for? We're coming up on corporate earnings season. Yep. Yep. So that is. Probably going to be very important for the S&P and all those other stock indices right now. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood, we keep track of it. It looks like analyst forecasts for earnings over the next 12 months have stayed stable slash ticking up slightly. It looks like forward 12 months earnings estimates bottomed the beginning part of this year and have been ticking higher. So Yeah. So definitely a huge shift change from 2022. So I guess to wrap up this episode, housing, supply issue, met by some demand, mainly supply issue. Fed's going to raise rates a couple more times. At least that's what they've talked the market into. Market's there. And our Musk and Zuckerberg continue to battle. Yep. So at this point, not making good on their cage match. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> All right. Till next week. Till next week. See you then.